boy's got utter belief in it. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Welcome, podcast listeners. Are you a glass half empty or glass half full type person? You're going to find out in this podcast. Thank you, Matthew Senchowitz. Thank you, Jared Nagus. Thank you, Josette Norris, Wesley Kiptu, and maybe one or two other people. Thank God for you. You all realized last week is an Olympic year and stepped up your performances. Hats off to you. Because the rest of the track and field world, at least the professional ranks, was awful. How in the God's name do people like Gwen Jorgensen, 1529, Kim Conley, 1532, Vanessa Fraser, 1540, Muriel Hall, 1604, Lopez Lamont, not even running a race, Ben True, 1326, Shannon Roberry, 409, Corey McGee, 410, Sinclair Johnson, 412, Nia Akins, 204, Brenda Martinez, and Kayla Edwards, 204. Hell, even Salomon Borrega lost a race to some guy I've never heard of. He got on a plane for the first time. What a crazy week it was. Lots to talk about. The track meet is in the books. The NCAA conference meet is in the books. And we've got a world record attempt in the men's 3,000 tomorrow, John. But I'm trying to go back and think about last week, and I don't know where to begin. I was really down, but then I'm uh, at the same time, I was really pumped about a few performances. What's your take on the last week, Jonathan? Up or down? Wow. I think that's the a first in Let's Run podcast history that we have begun the episode with Rojo's rant. Uh, I enjoyed it, but man, Robert, you, I'm not as down as you are. Yes, there are definitely some high-profile bombs, and let's introduce the show. It's the Let's Run.com track talk podcast. This is Jonathan Galt. The man you just heard venting about the state of American distance running is Robert Johnson, and we'll be joined in a minute by Robert's twin brother and co-founder of Let's Run.com, Weldon Johnson. But I'm not as I'm not as down as you. I thought there were some amazing, a lot of amazing performances at the NCAA conference meets over the weekend. And I think the big thing is what you started with, Robert. Centro's back. That was kind of my takeaway from the track meet, is we've been talking for months. We all still were card-carrying members of the Centro bandwagon, but he hadn't really given us a lot to go on this year. He only ran 150 and 340 in his two races. He's kind of been battling injuries. He said after the race on Saturday, if the Olympics had been last year, he'd be in trouble because he's been injured. But he looked fantastic. I mean, the move he made on that 1500 field at the track meet with 200 meters to go he just gapped them with ease in classic central fashion. It didn't look like he was accelerating, but he really was. Put a huge gap on the field in within 100 meters and just cruised home. So that was the big sign to me was Centro looking great. And then after the race, he said, look, I, I know I did well today, but I got some work to do. He's not just thinking of making the team. He wants to go and get a medal in, in Tokyo and defend his title. Yeah, big picture-wise, I think you're right. I mean, I think about it. The people that I'm complaining about are people probably likely to make a team. They make a team and they bomb out in the semifinals or get third to last in the finals. Central, I was so pumped for this. I mean, they say you're not supposed to cheer in the press box, but I'll admit I've been pumping up Cole Hawker, making T-shirts about the kid and you're in the goose, but I was watching this race at home on, on, on when was it, Saturday? 
And I was rooting for Centro. I went, I was like, oh, he got up there at the front. I'm like, he's in a perfect position. He looks focused. He looks engaged. And then, I mean, he was toying with the field of the last 200, John. Like, right? He, I think he was stunned, like, how far ahead. He was, like, looking over shoulders, like, where are you, where are you jokers? I mean, it it was brilliant. And then I enjoyed the post-race interview with Andy Weeding. They were kind of having some fun. So I guess big picture-wise, we should be pumped about that because America, you've got a very good – Metal hopeful, you know, in, in good form right now in the 1500 and the defending Olympic champion. Well, I got messages on Twitter though. I posted, I'm like, oh, Centro's back. This is a great run. And they're just like, people in Kenya and Norway don't give a shit. You know, that 335, that's not impressive. So is that too negative or how'd you interpret it this race, Weldon? Thank you, John, for someone finally acknowledging me here and also attempting to do introductions. That's what you should start with the podcast with. This is. Mount San Antonio College 10,000-meter champion Weldon Johnson joining the podcast. John, people want to know credentials. You guys are just two hacks on the internet talking about stuff. No one knows your expertise. you got to give a little credentials. I beat Ab- Olympian Abdi Abdurahman last time we raced to 10,000 meters. I-, I still got it. Anyway, just the negativity from Robert was crazy. There were some really good performances, and I think I know why. Perhaps these college athletes were wearing the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece, John. You gotta just gotta try this out. It's a relatively new training tool that was released last year. After 16 years of research, it's designed to increase endurance by reducing the respiratory rate by up to 20%, which means less lactic acid, increase strength by improving muscular endurance, and faster recovery times by reducing cortisol buildup by up to 50%. You gotta check it out. It's only 40 bucks, 39.99 and you can save 10% off by using code LR10 at checkout. Link in the show notes. Go to Airwave, that's A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com, and use code LR10. Centro running and dominating that race, it was the highlight of my weekend. We need American distance stars. I want to see that on Let's Run. And there were a lot of question marks on him coming in on this race. And it looked, it looked like there were none. The highlight for me was with about 100 meters ago, he just kind of glances over his shoulder, and I think he was like, like, what? Like, where is everybody? He had that thing in complete control. And yes, 3.30, what was his time? 3.35? And May maybe isn't that impressive, but we kind of put it in perspective last week. I think Russell Brown is the fourth fastest man ever in May. There's not a lot of advantage to running fast in May. And maybe now with Super Shoes, you should be running faster. But comparative to the rest of the U.S. ranks, Centro looks really good. He looks perfectly posed to make it the Olympic team. Then he can worry about the bigger things he worries about. But if you don't make it to Tokyo, you can't worry about those things. So big picture for me. I loved it. And he's back. And behind him, you know, Mark Scott and Grant Fish have both ran pretty solid for Bowman. Mohamed got caught up in the blender between Henry Wynn and Eric Avila. That was a whole total mess in the 50s. It would feel like there was a lot of shoving just between the conference meets. You guys see the Big 12 meet with the um, Festival Cigar just essentially like trying to shove Yusuf Bizimana. I mean, there's a lot of physicality this weekend in uh, track and field. But I, it was very weird to me. Robert, you did mention it. Like so many of the Bauman track club women just ran really poorly over the weekend. And I was struggling to know what to make of it because, you know, Sinclair Johnson, she looked good a few weeks ago. She ran 159, 800. I'm like, okay, she's in shape. 
Then she was never competitive in the 1500 at the trap meet and finishes, you know, dead last in 412. And then the 5K, they've got Vanessa Fraser, Mario Hall, and Emily Infeld. Two of them are Olympians. Fraser's run 1448, and none of them run faster than 1544. I just, I don't know. It's just strange. Bauman has so many good athletes. Jerry has such a great record as a coach. It's very odd to see them all show up to the same meet and have so many of them run poorly. Do you? Any reason to this? Jerry, who? Does he still have? I'm just kidding, John. You know, Nike's known for its reduction clauses. I hope they don't have mid race, mid year reduction clauses because Jerry, Jerry, Jerry's pay cap would probably take a big hit. This is the first time I've ever seen his his entire team on one side, at least one sex, just completely bomb it. Um, but again, it's kind of like glass half full or glass half empty. Look, the guy gets the job done. He doesn't care whether they're ready in May. He wants them ready for the Olympic trials in, in five weeks. I think they'll be ready. The more we complain about this result, this is probably the perfect example of why he's never going to race them again. He's very known for very for hardly ever racing. Well, guess what? It's hard to train at a really high level and race, and we see that here. So I, I think that, I don't know, maybe they just were all a little bit tired. What's more concerning to me, though, about the Bowerman people is these people who aren't racing. You know, you Shelby Houlihan has not raced at all in 2021. Lopez Lamont has not raced at all in 2021. Both were considering racing last weekend, and both decided not to do it. So Centro is back. There's still question marks about Houlihan and Lamont. I think it's time to get a little bit worried about them. Uh, Houlihan obviously has more room for error, but that room for error is about making the team. That being said, I do think Shelby's medal chances went up significantly last week. Why? Because it comes out after Stefan Hassan wins the 5,000 of the track meet in 1435. She's focused on the 5 and 10 at the Olympics. If she's gone, Shelby moves up from fourth to third, right, at the last World Championships. She's got a medal. This is what pisses me off about the Olympics to begin with. Sometimes you can say, oh, I'm an Olympic medalist. Yeah, you're only an Olympic medalist because somebody else ran another event. I would like to see all the big names and all the events. Maybe I know the scheduling is not possible, but it's going to kind of piss me off a little bit if Hassan's not in the 1500 final at the Olympics. Well, the problem is you've got women like Safan Hassan and Gudaf Sagai that are breaking the sport because normally you would only be, you would have an athlete who would only be a medal threat in two events, right? You'd only say, Okay, they're in the 15 and 5. That's the double of the 5 and 10. Hassan could legitimately win all three. So, And you're not going to run three events in the Olympics. So no matter what she does, you're going to be annoyed. Like, man, one of the best in the world isn't in this event. I agree with you. But normally, let's be honest. What doubles should be possible? One and two. Two and four. Eight and 15. I mean, excuse me. You know, 15 and 5. 5 and 10. Maybe it's not possible to do it like that. But I, I just think that the more natural doubles should be, should be made. Yeah, there's an amazing threat up on Let's Run. Right now, Gudolf Sagai, this isn't technically true, but has the fastest times in the world in the 800, 1500, 3000, 5000, and 10,000. Now, she doesn't actually have the fastest time in the world in the 5000 because she ran like a 1440 at 7,000 feet of altitude. But if you convert it down, she would have the fastest time in the world in all of those events. So, yeah, it's like she and... and Hassan, it's like a cheat code. But what makes it interesting to me is if Hassan and, and, and Sege 
both go 5-10, by definition, well, I guess they could split it. One of them will not be an Olympic champion. How crazy is that? As good as they are. Well, we yeah, we don't know that because they could split it. But Or are we going to see like a Holly Gabbard-Solesi, Daniel Komen situation from like 1997 where they kind of wink on wink, one runs the 10, one runs the 5, which still pisses me off. We can talk about that later when we get into the world record attempt. Well, I, I bet Sagai will... I think she's going to run the 10K. That'll be one of her events because she ran a 10K a few weeks ago. I don't think she just did it for fun. I assume she did it because she wants to run at the Olympics. So I think the question for her is, does she do the 510 or does she do the 1510? So Hassan said after the race, I want to do 510 this year? Yes. And this was the track meet on Saturday night where she just destroyed the women's 5k field in 1434 and was wearing it looked like she was wearing something she'd wear at practice like she wore half tights and some like just plain nike white singlet i was kind of confused if she she, i mean she kind of didn't seem to be treating it as a serious race because there was no one close to her so i don't know uh i'd like to know how who her wardrobe consultant was for that one we can talk about that race a little more in a second because there were some people behind her who deserve mention. But Robert and I clearly are identical twins because this thread, I had not discussed it with him at all. This was going to be my thread of the week. The Right now, Goodoff's guy has the fastest times in the world at 800 through 10K, unprecedented. That's by Carlo Runner 123 And guys... We're going to be giving away on product. That guy wins some on running gear. Thread of the week. We're in the giving mood here in Let's Run.com. And remember, the countdown to the trials on Let's Run.com is sponsored by On. And we're supposed to have Joe Klecker on this podcast, the former Colorado star who's now with the On Athletics Club. Joe hit the Olympic standard in the 10,000 meters this week, as did Emmanuel Bohr. There are now nine Americans there. But. Guys, I don't know what was going on, but I was trying supposed to talk to Joe last night. And he's like, sorry, my photo shoot went long. So Anna's doing some promotion out in L.A. after the meet, I guess. And, and did you guys see the TV? They were – I didn't know about this. Like, they haven't told me this stuff. There's some TV series coming out. I, I was going to ask you about that. Documentary series. Yeah, no, I love that ad. They had an ad during the broadcast on Saturday on ESPN, and it was like an ad, like a TV ad for On, and it said, you know, the birth of a track club starting June 1st. I thought it looked amazing. And I was like, wow, why didn't Weldon tell me about this? Apparently, On was keeping secret even from Weldon. So uh, that does look cool. See, if you're, if you're really good at marketing, right? Like, Hoka was a past partner. They did something similar. I think these guys are smart. The groups that work with Let's Run, you know, you work with us, you get Olympic qualifiers. You get big performances. It's pretty much guaranteed. Is it a coincidence that Alephine Tulemic wins the Olympic marathon trials? Right after Hoka did a big sponsorship leading up to the trials in Let's Run. But, yeah, I guess it on it's not a television series, but they advertise it on TV. It's a like documentary series on the athletic. I don't know what it is. Coming out in June, apparently. Advertising worked for me. Hopefully this advertising is working. But call a runner, one, two, three. I will be emailing you your special on code. But it's kind of interesting. If you're Sagay and you see that Hassan's going to the 10-5, then do you drop back to the 1500? I mean, she did lose to Faith Kipiega. I mean, Faith, Faith, Faith is really good too, but... Uh, and how do we not know this isn't a little game theory bullshit? You say you're going to do one thing and then do the other. That would be amazing. Right? 
What's it like the like the? I'm an econ major. Prisoner's dilemma or something like that. So shall we? Did you just? <laughs> so well, did you just say the idea of a of a dilemma? You just named any the first dilemma that came to your mind, rather than naming a situation that actually applies to this situation. Yes, yes. It, anyone much closer to their uh, econ one one courses, please email me. Okay, shall we go back to that 5K for a second? We, I mean, you mentioned Josette Norris in the intro, Robert, and that she, to me, was the story of this race. I mean, 1451, second place, the future Mrs. Robbie Andrews, and I was just shocked by this. I mean, she's been running very well this year with the Reebok Boston Track Club, coached by Chris Fox. She ran 406 at Drake, but this was like, what, a 28-second PR or something? it's craziness i can't believe like where did she come from she re- she didn't really do much at georgetown in college until you know her final ncaa she gets fourth and then i was kind of surprised she got a pro contract but that was enough to get her a deal with reebok and now that she's it's paying off uh, i agree we talked about her on a podcast before i mean she never made NCA cross country in college Makes NCAs for I think for the first time in the track as a senior or scores for the first time gets fourth runs fifteen fifty something did run like fifteen twenty nine later that summer but goes pro and then runs fifteen nineteen and then drops it down to fourteen fifty one so her PR coming into the year was it was that fifteen twenty nine now she's down to fourteen fifty one you know and. VIP subscribers that get access to the bonus Friday podcast on that podcast. I said specifically talking about this 5,000. Look, I want to see some of the Americans step it up. What I want to see is these women that are already sub 15, like, um, Emily Sisson drop, go with Hassan and break through that 1430, 1440 barrier. Did we get that? Absolutely not. But then I said, I also want to see some of these like 15, you know, 10 types dropped down into the 1450s. And no one did that except for Josette Norris. I mean, she was absolutely amazing. But the other people, John, it just, I I don't know. Rachel Schneider ran pretty well. She ran 1452, just just behind Norris. That's not bad. Yeah, so congrats to Rachel. Um, And But I I was really disappointed in Emily Sisson. 1453, I mean, that's a PR for her, but... I wanted to see her take that next step. I know that she's more of a 10,000 runner. I still think she's going to make the 10,000 team. You know, and you can't read too much into a 5,000 meter mark. Like if you're training for the 10,000, I mean, Weldon's, I think Weldon ran 2806, but his, his, his like, what's your 5,000 PR? Like 1350 Weldon just never really bothered to go for a fast one. So it's not that significant, but those two women stepped it up, but pretty much all the other Americans, you know, were not amazing. And then some of them, really, the BTC women were just absolutely terrible. If you're Rachel Schneider, is she going to do the 5K at the trials? I guess that that's what she's going to do, right? I feel like the move for her is do 5.10 because she has the Olympic standard in the 15, 5, and 10. But let's be honest. It's probably... It's, the 1500 is going to be very competitive. I mean, they're all going to be very competitive, but... I think she has her best chance to make the team in the 5K, which she did in 2019, or the 10K. So just do the 5K, 10K double, take your shot at both of them. Wait, she made the U.S. team at 5K in 2019? She did. Interesting. 
All right. I think of her, I used to think of her as a kind of a, I guess she came up from the 15, right? Because I still think of her as a 1500 meter runner, but yeah, I think her best shot's probably at the five. But I, I think we m- might need to make some sort of correction. John referred to Josette Norris as the future Mrs. Josette Andrews because she's engaged to Robbie Andrews. And Robbie put out a tweet saying, I can't wait till her babe says Andrews. This is a new era, folks, when we want equality and everything. Should Robbie change his name to, to, to Norris is what I'm asking because Robbie's days as an elite runner, uh, I mean, he, in another DNF this weekend, he, he's, the Lyme disease and the surgery, it's not happening this year. Maybe once they get married, I'm assuming Adidas is going to drop him after this year. Maybe he, go, he signs up with the Reebok Track Club and he can be resurrected down there. But she's clearly going to be wearing the, she's going to be one wearing the pants in, the, in this relationship based on performance. So I don't know, Robbie, if you want to be really new age and be a feminist, you can change your name to Norris. John looks confused. Robbie was, look, we knew Robbie wasn't going to make the team already, like based on his performances this year. Wills, I mean, the big question is, can he ever get back healthy or anything resembling his old self? Because it's been, what, since he won USA's in 2017, really? that he's been in top form. I guess in 2018, he did run 336, but, you know, he's what? He's 30 years old now. Uh, it's going to be tough. It'll be it'll be great to see one last, you know, Robbie Andrews kick the new Hayward field next year, trying to qualify for the home world championships. I think that'll be, we'd all like to see that, but I don't know how confident I should be just based on, it's been a long time and he hasn't been able to get that kick back. Yeah, but again, folks, this is the prime example, if you didn't listen to the past podcast, of the theory that only one person in a relationship can run well. By definition, everything has to be average. But Robbie took one for the team here, John. Instead of running that 347, which is kind of decent, then she ends up running like 1518. So instead, he decided to do the DNF so she could run the 1451. So it was a it was a great team because you want to have somebody at the top. There's no middle class anymore. And running in the, in the world... Unfortunately, the middle class is being obliterated. You want to be at the top. All the money's going to the top. So to put Josette up there with the DNF was a smart move by Robbie. So wait a minute, Robert. Though according to your theory, is she going to be in trouble at the Olympic trials because Robbie's not going to have qualified? So he won't be there to bomb a great performance. No, no, it still works because he's not there. Like he'll be devastated that he's not competing in it. I've actually looked it up. Well, is this says this is true? Your your five thousand meter PR is thirteen fifty four point one zero, or did you ever run faster than that? I think I split through faster in a ten k. But young guns, this is before the super shoes. I was thinking about this because I mean, before that we started this podcast, I'm like, are guys just dropping thirteen thirties in conference meets now? I think there's a thirteen twenty something. It used to be super rare. And then I'm like, are they just faster? Maybe the training's better. And I'm like. I started thinking about it. I'm like, no, it's shoes. I mean, like, people are like, oh, it's so much better now, 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 now. Abdi Abdurrahman is my era. Like, I beat him at the 2003 U.S. Champs. He quit before the line. I mean, I shouldn't have beat him, but we're, anyway, I finished ahead of him. I'll say that much. He made the U.S. Olympic team this year. So it's not like the quality of runner at 40-whatever years old he is. It's not like the quality of runner. I mean, he's like a constant point. So I just think it's so much of it's the shoes. It's crazy. And I mean, now guys, you see fast times and you go for it, but people hate us talking about shoes. I noticed that too. Well, just looking at the results and just how deep the distance results were, particularly in the 
Pac-12 and ACC, Big 12 had a few deep results too. But yeah, it was just like, normally you don't see conference meets just someone out going out and blasting at 13.30. And in ACC's, Adrian Wildshirt ran like 13.29. Wilson ran 13.29 at Big 12s and Cole Hawker ran 13.32 at Pac-12s. It's crazy. And Wesley Kip too, Wesley Kip too is my performer of the week. He won the steeplechase, which I didn't even know he ran the steeplechase. And he wins the steeplechase in the 831, which is the number two time in the NCAA this year. He wins the 5K, 1329. He wins the 10K, I think it was 2822. All three were meet records. And that's 30 points for Iowa State. I mean, that's phenomenal to win those three events at a major college conference meet. Insane. Now, he was helped with the fact that the meet was over three days. But, yeah, it was amazing. And, and, and there's a thread on it, and we're sort of comparing him to Prefontaine. I was asking people, like, you know, let's compare this to Pre. What did Pre do back in the day? First of all, Pre wasn't doubling and tripling at the conference meet. That's been confirmed there. And then we had an interesting analysis, and we'll link to, the, to this thread in, in the show notes. Um, you know, like, compared to the world record, who's running closer, who is running faster compared to their PRs. I mean, compared to the PRs, it's definitely – um, kept to so it's an interesting thread. You might want to check that out. But yeah, amazing performance by him. And one thing I think that this week improves is we've got to admit, right, John? Global warming is, is was a hoax. That was a joke, people. That was a joke. No, I, because I, I, John, because I know people are going to give me a one star review and say I'm a hoaxer. But the what, folks? Everyone knows I'm obsessed with weather. The weather was amazing here on the East Coast this weekend. The temperature, where was ACC's? It was like in Virginia or North Carolina somewhere, was perfect. Like it's not been, it has not been really hot. So you need nice, cool weather. A lot of times at conference meets, it's not fast. And I think one time is, you know, the big cancellation this year was the Stanford type races, the Mount Sac type races. So if you see good weather, you're probably going to go for the time this year more so than, than in years past. John, you mentioned your performer of the week. Something we should probably do each week. I've got two different performers of the week. Is, is that allowed? I think that's allowed because I actually thought as soon as I said Kip to us, like, oh, there was another guy I wanted to give performer of the week to. So maybe you, you're going to honor him. If not, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's allowed. Two performers of the week is okay. Okay. Mine are both 800 meter runners. They're, they both ran 145 at their conference meet. And sort of very different ways. One's a freshman, Brandon Miller, at Texas A&M. This guy was a, I'm about to say high school phenom, middle school phenom. He holds the under 13 and under 14, I think, world records. 146 as a 13-year-old, 151 as a 14-year-old. You know, he ran 149 as a freshman. That's a freshman record. And then he improved freshman in high school. Yeah. And then he didn't run. He ran 0.3 faster his senior year than his freshman year of high school. So people are like, okay, this guy's done. Everyone in Let's Run wrote him off. And now he's at Texas A&M as a freshman and just thriving. He won the SECs and 145.95. This guy's maybe now like a dark horse shot for the Olympic team. It's crazy. And... The other guy is Cameron Jones. He's a fifth-year senior at Clemson via 
University of Maryland, where he was like a 46-second, very good 400-meter runner and a 149, 800-meter runner. Well, this year, he's all in the 800. He runs 145 to win the ACC meet. And also, like, there's a big profile on him. Uh, Pat Graham on one of the articles in Saving Clemson Track. This guy was a transfer student, and he went all in on Saving Clemson Track. The men's program got canceled. He was kind of helped really instrumental in the fight to save Clemson track, which is successful. So, uh, but this guy's trajectory as well, like, do you think either one of these guys could have a shot at the trials, you know, get that third spot? Well, I think Rob, I think you're ignoring the collegian who has the best shot to make the Olympic team. That's another guy who ran 145 this weekend. Isaiah Jewett of USC. He ran 145-16, tops in the NCAA. He almost broke... Joaquin Cruz's meet record from Pac-12s, which dates from 1984 when Cruz won the Olympic. And he was a USA finalist in 2019. And I think most of us kind of forgot about him because he didn't compete last year due to COVID, but he came out and looked fantastic in winning the Pac-12 meet. I think if any collegian is going to make the team, it's a guy who's already made the final and who just ran a you know, one forty-five, one six to win the Pac-12 meet. So Isaiah Jewett, I think, is the guy to watch. But hats off to all three of them. They were really cool stories. I really enjoyed writing the article about Brandon Miller for the website, just because one of my favorite sayings: "Talent doesn't go away." But honestly, if I was a college coach and saw that a guy had barely improved for four years, I'd be really hesitant to to you know recruit him i would think oh this is another team phenom who matured early he's not really that good particularly in 800 you do see that sometimes in 800 the age group phenoms often don't progress so who is the mid d coach at a&m they need some major props because all thing mo is running amazing and I, although i guess john your your one guy is not running so well from um devin dixon struggling but it was just so cool to see this guy go for, i mean he's got an a&m and he's just He's kicking that. He's kicking some major butt. Well, it's interesting you ask, Robert, because I went and had to look up who the AM mid distance coach was. I mean, they've had so much success recently. I mean, now probably like the last five or six years at AM. And the old coach was Aline Francique, former world, what, indoor champion of 400? Is that correct? And kind of a big name in the sport. And he left mid season under circumstances we still don't know the full story about. And the new coach, well, he's been there a while now, is Milton Mallard. And this is an interesting stat. Ever since he's been the coach, Texas A&M has won the women's outdoor 800-meter title. And that's with two athletes not named Athingmo. So assuming she wins again this year, he'll have three straight outdoor NCAA 800-meter titleist female with different athletes. Pretty crazy. So that's Sammy Watson and, oh my gosh. Robert, do you know the answer to this or do I need to save both of you? 2019 NCAA Outdoor 800-meter champion women. She's now running for Under Armour in D.C. I know that much. I can't remember her name, though. Jasmine Frey. And I'm just killing it. So I'm just also... (laughs) If you if you're one of the top 800 meter runners in the U.S. men or women right now, making that Olympic team is tough. I mean, even if you're like a Donovan Brazier who did not race this weekend on the Friday 15, we discussed he was on the entry list for the sound running meet. He popped on there all of a sudden, but he actually didn't show up and race. 
So he hasn't raced in a while. That injury little question marks as we get close to the trials means the world champion. So also, yeah. And if you guys are liking this podcast, you we have a second podcast out for Let's Run.com supporters club members. It's a way to get total access to Let's Run.com. You get extra features. You save 20% on running shoes. I mean, you buy one pair of shoes, you get a free t-shirt if you subscribe for the year. You pretty much, this pays for itself. I mean, I think the first order of shoes I, I ordered, I saved 550 bucks. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Get the extra podcast. I mean, this week we'll be breaking down the world record attempt at 3,000 after it happens. You know, we're going to have a lot to talk about. We've got Diamond League action this Sunday. I mean, we're back in force this week. we got Ostrava 3K world record attempt, which we're going to turn to in a second on Wednesday. we got Diamond League on Sunday. we got Adidas Boost Games this weekend, I think. I mean, we're back full force. But go to let'srun.com slash subscribe if you want to join the Sporters Club. Well, I'm going to quickly hit. You did not mention my second performer of the week, which was Terrence Laird of LSU. This guy, I think he's going to make the U.S. Olympic team at 200 meters, maybe at 100 meters. He won the 100 in a windy 980, and then he runs 1982, win legal in the 200. So he now has the two fastest times in the world this year. This guy's an absolute stud. Uh, you know, winning the SEC 100-200 double, that's pretty damn impressive to do it in those times, even more impressive. So he was my other performer of the week. Robert, do you have a performer of the week you want to share? Do I have a performer of the week? John, you're setting me up. I mean, we've, we, I can't believe I've waited 30 minutes to get to this. I, we'd almost forgotten about this because it happened almost a week ago, and I briefly mentioned it on the Friday 15. John was under the weather. John missed the Friday 15 because of – taking the second COVID shot. Glad to see you're doing well, John. But in case y'all forgot, we talked about getting good conditions and going for it. We hinted that this might happen on the podcast last week, but we don't think anyone expected it. 334 from the front. Yair de Goose picks up the Olympic standard. Just amazing solo running at the ACC meet. And I just, those of you don't, that don't listen week or maybe new podcast listeners, I just want to take you back in time. They said time travel is not possible. It is. I'm going to take you back in time to September of last year when like one of the first cross-country results, back when we just started competition after COVID, there was a, a small, obscure cross-country meet. And Yair Nagus, the 2019 NCAA 1500-meter champion, when he won that race, I had an epiphany. Let me share it with you. And when I was looking at the results of this, folks, I had an epiphany. And I would like to announce a member of the 2020 Olympic U.S. men's 1,500-meter team. Are you ready? My lock for the team. I've read the document. I know who it is, but please tell us, Robert. Jared Nagus of Notre Dame will be on the 2020 Olympic team in 2021 for America. There you have it, folks. Pick is looking pretty good right now, I must say. Now, I guess I was... If I'm going to play devil's advocate on my own argument, I, mean, I guess picking the 2019 NCAA 1500-meter champ to be a future star isn't that amazing. But I think at the time, nobody was thinking big picture. That's why my mind is so creative. I was thinking far ahead. But there is another 2019 NCAA 1500-meter champion that I also thought was going to be on the Olympic team. And I think you did too as well, John. Sinclair Johnson. No, you picked you picked, Mullet, you picked um, Jenny Simpson. But we all thought Sinclair Johnson would have a good shot. But... She broke two minutes in 800 last week, and then this week she was terrible. 412 in the 1500? That was stunning to me how bad she looked. And it made me really nervous because 
I guess we're all allowed to have big races, bad races, and, and the Bowerman women were clearly training at a high level because they were all off their game. But it kind of reminded me, I think, wait a minute. I was reading some training. She really likes to do the speed stuff. She likes to do the fast stuff. Maybe she's more of an 815 runner. And the training may not work for her. Like, it didn't really work for Kate Grace, who's a similar type runner. I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe she's not going to make this big jump like I thought she would with the Bowerman in the 1500. So I am pretty worried about Sinclair Johnson. I thought on this week's show, I would be feeling the same way I do about Yara Goose as like, okay, he may not make the team, but he's got a real damn good shot. With her, I thought that going into the weekend, and now I'm like, that third spot for Team USA is wide open. Jenny Simpson had a great weekend because nobody in the 1,500-meter mark stepped up to claim that third spot. Robert, I got to say, I enjoy your victory laps because last week on the podcast, you took a victory lap when you didn't really make predictions that came true. They only like kind of came true. This time you're taking a victory lap for some guy making the Olympic team when we're still a month out from the trials. So I just can't wait for the day when you actually have a legitimate cause to take a victory lap. It might be the entire podcast is just Robo Rojo patting himself on the back. Well, John, I mean, I, I've got a comment on what you're wearing. You're wearing a Brighton and Hove jersey. John right now is taking a victory lap because his favorite English soccer team, I don't even follow English soccer, but I know a little bit about it, has avoided relegation. They're the worst team in the big league that doesn't get kicked out of the league, and you're taking a victory lap for that. So we it's not a victory the- lap. We've got a game today against Manchester City, and I want to support the troops here, Robert. Is that oh, is that not okay. allowed? Okay. No, it's allowed. It's allowed. Okay. Right, well, there's, there's something I want to talk about. Oh, Robert. No, there's something I need to talk about. Okay. I feel like in this podcast, everyone just assumes – does everyone just kind of assume Donovan Brazier is going to win the Olympic gold in the 800? Like it's a given. Kind of everyone acts like no one can beat him. And I don't think that's fair. Like, do people forget that Nigel Amos, who he is, this is a guy that's one of the few humans in history that's run 141 in the 800, and he's done it twice. People say you can't have a long career in the 800. He did it in 2012, and he did it, did it again in 2019. This is a guy that in 2019 was winning, like what, four of his five races, and then he got hurt. And didn't run worlds, right, John? He's the, this is the problem, Robert. He's never at 100% at the, when it matters the most. He got that silver medal behind Rudisha in 2012, which was amazing. No, no argument there. Since then, he's either been injured or he's just choked at every major championship since then. So that Brazier went out and ran a perfect race to win the world title in 2019. That's why he's the favorite. No, I'm just saying though, but he, this is a big time talent and sort of quietly, he doesn't have to make the team to, you know, he's going to be on the Botswana team. He's run a 45, six this year. And then this weekend, this a couple of weeks ago, and then this weekend he made his 1500 meter debut. Did you guys see this? Do you guys know what he ran? He finished right behind my friend, Tim Gorman, uh, of the mammoth track club. I think he ran three forty three. Yeah. Three forty four. Now, I know Donovan Brazier's run 337, but I thought this was good. Oh, he yeah, has? Okay. Well, so he's got better endurance, but Amos is, a, at least in terms of 400 PRBs, is a little bit faster than Brazier. I think their speed of 400 is similar. So I, to me, this was a good result for him. I would like to see a good Amos on his game at the Olympics. I was kind of wondering where he was. This, is, this was encouraging to me in, in that sense of, you know, I, I want to have the best athletes in, in good form. Um, another person that ran made their 1500 meter debut, Raven Rogers. 
Did you see that from last weekend? Oh, I didn't see a time. What did she run? You guys want to take a crack at that? Remember, oh, wow. Nictoya Goal, a few weeks ago from Jamaica, ran 408. Raven ran 414. That's kind of more than the 344 ranks. I mean, to me, this wasn't, again, she's more of a speed, speed woman. I think it's okay. Again, I like to see them working on their endurance. And actually, what did I think Mel run for fifteen hundred, John? It was right around that four fourteen, wasn't it? Four sixteen when she ran it a few weeks ago. Yeah, so, I guess I'm not as crazed about eight hundred runners running like relatively slow fifteen hundreds as you. But this seems like I know with Saruni and with Amos, you seem very excited about all this, Robert. I mean, she almost ran as fast as Sinclair Johnson. You two guys have been hyping up for like months here. Like it is what it is, and Ra- and Raven probably like gave up the last hundred. She's probably like, I'm done with this. This is what you're just assuming she gave up. I mean, she's a four eight runner. I, I, I watched some of the race. She was tired at the end. It's a long way. That last hundred, you're just like, oh, I'm done. I she didn't give up, but I'm just saying, it's like who care? I don't care if she ran four twelve versus four fourteen versus four sixteen. Yeah, it doesn't make that big and, a deal to me. Some of these subpar performances are a bit baffling because the Bowerman women usually are pretty consistent. If I had to pick the top women's training group in America, that's it. And but then I think back, it's so rare for top runners to like, I mean, the total top world class to really underperform. Like, do you remember, like, I'm going to date myself, like Gibra Selassie, like dropping like a 1310 5K or just like Mofar, just like, oh, getting eighth place in a race. I feel like that shit never happens. It's amazing. Huh? This is not Geb or Mofar. Far. I know, but I'm just saying it's amazing how the tip, tip, tip top are always there. Always. People get sick. People get whatever. And it never stops them. It's crazy. Like, I don't know. But, like, you get an illness. You get a cold. Robert was talking about the heat. It's bad weather. Something like that. You don't run well in the weather. I mean, I, I psyched myself out of so many, like, conference meets because it was too hot. It's like, I'm in the, I live in the Northeast now in May. It's like, it's not even hot at all. Today it might be a little bit. Tomorrow. Are you kidding me? It's kind of crazy. Speaking of fast times, it looks like Robert's looking things up. Do you guys see... What's this guy's name, John? Some guy, well, there's only one sports league in America that did not go on this year, and that is the Ivy League sports. Pretty much, like, they waved a white flag all year. Parents had to pay 70 grand for their kids to go to school, and they, they couldn't do sports. You know, so that everyone else in America was having conference track meets this year, except for the Ivy League. And yet... Some kid is going to be a, fr- I guess, or maybe he's a freshman at Harvard. I don't know if he took the year off. He ran a 1335K. I mean, this is crazy. No? Okay. Yeah, he's taking, I think he's taking a gap year this year. Uh, but he may be, maybe he's taking class at Harvard. I'm not totally sure. Uh, I So I've been doing this whole podcast on my phone. I don't have access to my normal stats, so... Off the top of my head, I want to say the guy's name is Graham Blanks. That sounds about right to me, but I that's coming out. I'm pulling up totally sure. But yes, I did think that he ran this unattached at the sound running track meet. Wow. John, John is doing this podcast like uh, he thought, you know, I'm like, oh, his fact checks aren't as good. He's got it's all from memory, folks. All from memory. This is a true test. John, we're working on you. You want to be in Jeopardy and stuff. We're, we're just sort of, if you have any Jeopardy running questions, you'll be prepared. Wow, John, you nailed it. It is Graham Blanks. I had to go look that up. Very impressive. 
That's got to be the top time in the country for a true freshman, right? No. Nico Young ran Nico Young a few weeks ago. Ran what? 1324. Oh, I forgot about Nico Young doesn't count though, right? Like, come on. But fair enough. Okay, fine. We're now comparing some guy no one's ever heard of to Nico Young. Well, he looks like he only ran 904 in high school, but that was indoors because he didn't get the outdoor season. He was like the Nike South Region champion, 28th in Nike Cross Nationals. So this kind of reminds me of the Sam Tanner-like situation. Like, can Andy Powell take credit for Sam Tanner's 334 when another guy was coaching him? Like, do we know who's coaching this guy? Like, I love Alex Gibby. I think he's a fantastic coach at Harvard, but... Do we? If the kid hasn't even started Harvard, he's never set foot on the Harvard campus. He's taking a gap year, so he hasn't even started at Harvard. Does Gibby get credit for him? It actually might even be an NCAA violation for Gibby to give him workouts, which is crazy. I don't know if that's true. It shouldn't be. I used to give my kids workouts, but if they haven't started. Is that technically illegal? Ooh, Robert just submitted NCAA violations on the podcast. He's not going to get another college job now. Mm. No show cause right now. All right, all right. Guys, we're, I don't know, we're like, what, 45 minutes into this podcast or something? We haven't mentioned that some dude ran two, a 202 marathon over the weekend. I mean, is that just where we are in the sport right now that Titus Akiru can go and run 202.57 in Milan and everyone's just sort of collectively shrugs? Yes, John, that is where we are. Since you've prompted me, I'm now going to actually go and click through and read about the race. I, You guys texted me, alerted this. I think there was a thread on it, and that was it. I, I just didn't even bother to read more about it. I'm just like, who, what? And I'm like, then I kind of tried to th- remember what the world record is. And Wait, wait, what is the world record? Tell me right now. It's like 201.29, right? Oh, close. 201.39. 39, okay. We only have a shirt that's with a n- number we on We don't it. have that number on the shirt, Robert. Oh. Oh, we hit 159.40. I apologize. Yeah. Robert remembers the fake world record, not the... I mean, but yeah, but it's like... It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Carl Dennehy, friend of Let's Run, he said, says a lot about the effect of shoe technology that a world record ago is now barely raising an eyebrow. I mean, look, we got you give some credit to the guy. He's... So he, it's interesting. I looked. He ran the last five marathons that he's finished. He has won all of them. Seville, Milan, twice. Uh, sorry, Mexico City, Milan twice, and Honolulu twice. And Honolulu is usually like if you win a Honolulu, that means you, you might end up winning a major or two someday. So his previous PB was 204.46, but still it's, you know, 2.57. He's now, what, the fifth active marathoner who's run 202 or faster, it's not the crazy accomplishment it was when Camaro did it back in 2014. No, he's amazingly good. I mean, honestly, look at the, like that record is Kipchoge-esque. I mean, nobody wins at, at that rate in the marathon. I know he hasn't been running majors. He's never won a major. I mean, he's got a DNF listed for Chicago in 2018, but I think he was pacing there because he'd run the Mexico marathon on August 26th. And then he ran Honolulu in December. So, but I mean, he's 29 and he has no results until 2017. Like, I don't know where he came from, but he's amazingly good at the marathon. I would put him on, if they're just going to pick the team, is there enough time? I guess there's maybe not enough time, but put him on the Olympic team. No, Kenya's already named the final 
four-person team, so it's too late. Uh, but no, I can't. I mean, there's plenty of major marathon opportunities in the fall. I'm sure a lot of people will. 202 still means something to race directors, so it'll be interesting to see where he winds up. I did notice in the results at this Milan race, Jairus Birich, the former 758 steepler. Um, he was a DNF. I don't know why he kind of stopped doing the steepling. He's not that old, but I guess he kind of, he's been running the roads. He's run a bunch of like 60, 30 half marathons. He was going to make his marathon debut here. He didn't do that. And speaking of last week's podcast, I, I at one point I referred to, I wanted to know what Evan Jager's lifetime record against Kim Boy and Capruto was. Evan Jager's lifetime record against Cassius Capruto is four and 12, but against Ezekiel Kim Boy, He's actually six and four all time. Now, one of those was like a DQ. So it's really, they're five and five all time. Kimboy just apparently would beat them all the, every time at Worlds and Olympics. But <laughs> on the circuit, Jager beat him a fair amount of times. So. I mean, that's what Kimboy is favorite, famous for. He would very rarely race well on the I mean, he had a few good races, yeah, but he, he'd run poorly, especially like the end of the career when I started covering him. And then suddenly, like, out of nowhere, oh, here's Kemboy, you know, kicking away to win with 200 to go. You know, that was sort of his reputation. Back to this Titus Ikuru guy real quick. I would put him on the Olympic team. I mean, he's not going to be, but, like, he runs well in the heat. He's the Honolulu course record holder. I mean, like, Galen Rupp's got to like it that this guy's not on the team because, I mean, the Olympics is a different thing. Are you a good warm weather runner? And this guy's a great warm weather runner. He's got the Honolulu course records. Now he's got this. I think right now he's a top five marathoner in the world. So we shouldn't be so dismissive of the time. I mean, he's done some great things at some sort of lesser races. And now I think for the fall with so many majors in the fall, like this guy's going to get his chance and we're really going to see, you know, who he is or the world will finally understand how good he is. Cause I think he really is that good. Speaking of fall marathons came out yesterday and the New York's kind of, be holding the race this year, but they're only going to have 33,000 runners. I, I don't really understand this. I know I've been accused of playing it both ways in COVID. I still have not been to a restaurant despite being fully vaccinated, but this doesn't make any sense to me. Like the race is in November. Everyone that wants to have been vaccinated will be vaccinated. The CDC just this week said we don't need to wear masks anymore, but in November we can't. So you can run a race with 33,000 people. That's safe. But 53,000, the normal amount would not be safe. Is that what it is, John? Or are they afraid that they wouldn't sell out because there's so many fall marathons? Like this to me, I've been told to follow the science and I'm trying to follow the science, but these, the virtue signaling by some of these people, particularly on the East Coast, is, is really angering me. That's what I've said is like, be consistent and tell me the truth. Don't just make things up. Well, I don't think it's New York Roadrunner's call here, though. I think you look Boston and New York, they're both reduced capacity. I think they want to do what the government's going to allow them. They w- I'm sure they would love to have 50,000 and recoup the prize, the entry money they lost in 2020. But they want, they, I mean, they're following the rules from the city of New York and the state of New York and the government to what will allow them to hold these events. So yeah, does it make sense not to have, like I, London's having its biggest field ever, 50,000, and that's going to happen a few weeks before New York. Doesn't make sense to me that New York wouldn't be able to have 53,000 as well, but they are just want to doing, they're doing whatever the government tells them to do in order to stage this race. So that's probably why the fields are smaller and not New York roadrunners saying, Oh, you know, due to an abundance of caution. Also, are we going to recognize anyone 
when we go to the New York City Marathon this fall? I mean, I feel like ev- everyone I know at New York Roadrunners pretty much is now gone. There's just been such a major shakeup in that organization. John, related to that, I'm like the race director. I'm like, who's this? Like, you know, I still think fondly of Mary Wittenberg being there, and she's now like too removed and so much shakeup. This was it last fall and whatever. I think one thing we forget, I I want them to have 50,000. I would love to see full capacity. I wish they just sort of announced this a bit differently. Like we're having 33. We hope to have 50. But I think one thing we forget and really underestimate is they're partners with the city. They're partners with the state and the, I guess, politicians everywhere, but especially in New York have a lot of power. I mean, here's the lead sentence from the New York times article on the marathon coming back. The New York City Marathon, one of the biggest events staged in the city each year, will return in November with a reduced but still sizable field of runners. Governor Andrew M. Cuomo announced on Monday. Like, what? The governor has to announce, like, that the race is coming on? Like, I got a press release. I didn't think. But from the New York Times perspective, the governor, you know, deems it okay. But I think the one thing, and then this article talks about how they've been discussing for months this thing. So this was already set, and the race is like, oh, we we can have 33,000. We'll take it. Well, then these CDC guidelines came out last week, and they sort of changed the ball game. I hope. So I, I don't know. I guess this was. I feel like you have your partners, the city, state. It's set in stone. Something changes, but you're like, screw it. Let's just announce this. I don't know. I'm hoping for more. But if COVID comes back in the fall, there's a huge seasonal component to COVID. So if that comes back in the fall, it might all change anyway. I don't know. I mean, but if the New York Giants have seventy thousand fans, why can't we have fifty for the? Well, but a lot of people, it's just, I guess, because of the stimulus and stuff, a lot of people have lost their jobs. No one seems to care. There's a lot of cash. People want to spend it. Like, there would be millions of dollars more in revenue if they could have 50,000 people, you know? And I think people need that. Their jobs depend on it. No one seems to care about that. Yeah, I'm just hoping, I'm hoping they they do have the 50. I don't know, somehow they, they can get to it. Because also, the other thing, did you guys see, you have to be vaccinated or have a negative test. I mean, the science is... The vaccines clearly have made things very safe. The CDC changed those guidelines. Outdoor spread is almost non-existent. I mean, I guess people would have to get in buses to go there. But you're also COVID testing people who aren't getting vaccinated. So it's like, let's just rip this Band-Aid off and go, is my opinion. But clearly that's wrong. Yeah. All right. Let's not. Hopefully I, we can. I don't think we veered too far into COVID talk there. You know, I don't like that too much. But I have some news I want to share here, guys. This is breaking news just confirmed by me this morning i haven't even told any of you guys about it david radisha will not be running any races this year he will not be going for the olympic title he had talked about making a comeback trying to become the first man to win three straight olympic 800 meter titles and i have confirmed with his agent that that is not the case uh he's just not fit right now it's not going to be it's not going to be happening so is he retired? Do I need to write this story? You can be the one. He's not retired. I did ask that. I mean, logically, that does see at this point, you know, the the Olympics is really the thing that motivates Radisha. If he's not going to run this one, the next one's for three years. It seems unlikely that he's going to be. I mean, because one of the reasons he wasn't really training that well in 2019, I think, was because he was really motivated for the Olympics, but they were still so far away. So it was kind of hard to get that motivation. And at this point, I think it makes sense to retire. I think it's more than likely that Rudisha's run his last race, but 
his agent, Michelle Boating, told me that's something that David has to decide on his own. He hasn't made that decision one way or another yet. Okay, this is big news. We should have done the breaking news alert. Maybe I can go put that back in. John, this is huge. You got to get a story out on this. Man, maybe the editors make the writers. I mean, John's sitting here burying this thing 10 deep into some podcast. Yeah, I agree. Well, big news, John. Big, big news. Did you, Were you specifically asking about this or were you talking to him about something else? So I was talking to Michelle about something else. And then at the end, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Michelle is David Radish's agent. You know, what's the deal? You know, I haven't seen, I haven't heard anything about Radisha this year. So I kind of asked him and we talked about, this was like literally like five minutes before I was set to do this podcast and then my internet went on the fritz. But anyway, yeah. So I learned that news this morning, Tuesday morning. And, uh, obviously look, I wasn't expecting Rudisha to really be at the Olympics, but the fact that we now have confirmation that the greatest 800 runner of all time won't be there and perhaps has run his final race. I do. I, yeah, obviously it's a story. They should have like a testimonial race. Is that what the, it's called in soccer? Do they still do those, John? When I first became a Crystal Palace fan, they had like a testimonial game where they said they were going to have one. The oh, they do. They do do testimonials. Actually, a lot of people are clamoring at Brighton that we have a testimonial game for Glenn Murray because we sold him earlier this year in Nottingham Forest. In his last game at Nottingham Forest, he walked off the pitch. He was walking around and just looking at the stands and you know, you could tell it meant a lot. He'd probably played his final game and there was no one to applaud him. So this is Glenn Murray, Brighton's second all-time leading goal scorer. And he was also, you know, he had a stint at Crystal Palace for a little while, but uh, he, he would be fated like a conquering hero if he comes back and hopefully Brighton has a, a testimonial match for him sometime over the summer. And you play with like real team, or you play with like kind of okay, okay. guys. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk soccer. soccer. Really no, we're not talking soccer because I'm wondering, like Radisha, like would you have him race like you know American? Well, would you have him race, or, or you'd have like Sebco and Wilson Kipketer in the race? He'd race them. Oh, it's it's usually um, I don't know. It kind of varies. Usually, it's like pretty like real teams, but. You can have some, sometimes you get some legends come in. Here's what we need. We need a match race, handicap, Seb Coe, Wilson Kipketer, David Radisha, Joaquin Cruz, like all of them. We'll have handicappers, you know, determine how far apart they start. It'll be betting. It'll be on TV. Boom. Bitcoin to the winners. <laughs> okay. That would be pretty interesting, actually. I'm looking at my secret notes, John, that I printed out. That you, you <laughs> really, there's quite a few random topics I didn't get to because we didn't we didn't go to the, we didn't follow a, a strict order today. But John, I know you're really into Connor Mance, the NCAA cross country champion. How he's running the ten thousand last week ran twenty seven forty one. I'm going to go glass half empty on that glass half empty. Yeah, I was disappointed by this. I bet you're going to say it's an amazing performance. But for me, that didn't do it for me. I'm like, this is the NCAA cross-country champion. He's slower than his coach was at Highstone 30 years ago. He's slower than Robert Brandt. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, but it didn't do anything for me. I thought it was just kind of cool how close he came to Highstone's mark. He, you're in 2741. The BYU school record is also 2741. Mance was 1100ths of a second behind. So, you know, Ed... Ed likes to have some fun. I can't, I got to imagine the bus ride back to the hotel and just sort of just gently reminding him, you know, I, I'm still the, the king here. So I thought that was 
that was pretty cool. And it actually puts in perspective how impressive Ed's run was back in the 80s to run 2741. Also at Mount Sac, Weldon. He may have run that race. I assume he won that race and fellow Mount Sac champion, though I don't know if he won that race for sure. Wait a second here. Robert mentioned Robert Brandt, podcast listener, I think, and definitely podcast guest. And it got me thinking, like, wait, he wasn't in the sound running meet. They had the Big East Championships this week. But he didn't get to go to the Stanford meets either. I just checked it up. Robert Brandt. He was gearing up. He was hoping to get the Olympic standard. You need to have run under 27-28 if you want to go to the Olympics. He ran 27-39 in December out of nowhere. He brought it when it counted. What do you mean he brought it when it counted? December is like the least important month in the track and field calendar. Yeah, okay, good point. But he only... So, Georgetown, you out of money or something? You're charging all these kids to like teach them virtually. And he ran, he only got to go to Raleigh Relays, which he won, 28-23. He just won the Big A Championships, 13-48. Oh, he did run the 5K, interesting, at the sound running meet. Oh, I guess it's on him. Was there a 10K at the March 6th sound running meet, John? I don't think there was. Or was there? I don't know. Well, what's the big deal, though? Like, he didn't, so he didn't get to go for its fast 10K? Like, you would you want him to break the NCAA record or something, or what? John, do you want to be in the Olympics as a runner? Yes or no? Most runners. Okay, good. D- to get in the Olympics in the 10K, you need to run under 27-28 as a man. There's some other... As a man, you have a slim chance, maybe, to make it under the Olympic standard. He didn't get the chance. I'm going to check out that. Well, March he got 15. his chance in December. He didn't, he didn't get it. But, John, no one expected that guy to run 2730s in December. Let me check the meet. I can't remember. Weldon apparently wants a school to give a guy a scholarship and then not even make him run one conference meet. This is the only conference meet he had to run was this weekend. No, he needed to run this meet, but he could have gone to, like, I guess there was no stand. Oh, good point. The Stanford meet didn't exist this year, right? As has been mentioned several times on this podcast already. Wow. So pretty much the more elite you were as a school, just the more you shut down. I mean, that that's crazy. Yeah, okay. Sound running meet March 6th did not have a 10K. So Robert Brandt, shout out. We got your back. Maybe if he brings it at the trials, like runs 27.40, wins it, he'll get in on points. Okay, guys, we need to preview the 3,000 more record attempt tomorrow. But before we do that, John, should I... I, mean, I kind of led the podcast harping on a bunch of these U.S. 800-meter runners like Nia Aikens, Brenda Martinez, Kayla Edwards that can't break 204. Or I guess there's no, no reason to do that. But it's shocking to me how these women were running, some of them, maybe Brenda Martinez ran 159 last week. Now she runs 203 or 204. I, I don't get it. So anyways, I won't go there. I guess we don't have time for that. But another negative performance, Salomon Borrega. Isn't he God's gift in the men's 5,000? I guess it's not that bad opening up at 13.02, but he did lose to some guy no one's ever heard of. Kenya's Mark Owen Lomaket, his first international race, who had a 13.49 PR. He ran 13.01. That's probably actually bad news for Edward Chesurek's chances to make the Olympic team in Kenya because Kenya's not that deep in the 800. I mean, in the 5,000. And last week also was the 10th year anniversary of Sammy Wanjiro's death, which is crazy. Young people, if you don't know who Sammy Wenger is, just Google him. Google Let's Run. His his Olympic win in the marathon was so amazing. It 
like John Kellogg on the spot wrote a, wrote, a, wrote a recap of the race. He never writes stories, but he was so moved by it and thought it just changed the game for the marathon. I do want to give a shout out before we get to this Ostrava preview. I thought Cole Hawker was great last weekend, John. 146, and then he wins the 5,000. I mean, who who runs 146, 800, and then wins the 5,000 on the same damn day? Like, that double to come back from any race from the 15 or the, to the 5 is always tough. To do it from the 800 is sick. So he was great. And I guess I'm going to give Centro this this title of the person in North America most likely to medal. But I think on the Friday 15 bonus podcast, Josh Kerr is really good. He's really good. He's already run 145 this year, and he PR'd last week in 13.23 in, in the 5,000. I mean, if you think of Hawker, Hawker's like a 146, you know, 13, 19 guy. Kerr's 145. You know, he's probably a little bit faster than Hawker, but not quite as good at the 5,000. So, I mean, 1,500-meter runners, it's amazing how good they are, both eight and the five. But yeah, it is kind of crazy. Like, Josh Kerr's only – what 23 i think and he's from 145 13 22 and 330 ooh, 331 332 somewhere around there he's sixth at worlds so yeah he's obviously quite good but i think the borrega thing robert i just wanted to mention you think this was a terrible race for borrega he got beat to me the biggest story is mark lomaket who the hell is this guy he must be a real star if he's beating Selman Borrego, who is one of the, the silver medalists at the 2019 World Championships. I think Kenya could have its next 5K star. It's been a little while. This guy bears watching to see what he does this summer. And can he also get in the testing pool for long enough to actually make the Kenyan Olympic team? Because remember, they're still on the, in the category A for uh, you know, World Athletics for like the testing pools. They had some guys at the 2019 World Champs who just came out of nowhere and they weren't being tested enough to be accepted into worlds. The same thing could happen in the Olympics. So, you know, WADA, the anti-doping agency of Kenya needs to start testing this guy now. John, 332, 52, I think is cares PR. Pretty impressive. This was some random meet in Italy where this 1302 was run. And yeah, we need to preview this. 3k tomorrow we're actually pushing the podcast a day earlier this week to get it out before the 3k but it makes sense to talk about it at the end but real quick a couple more performances at the track meet 10,000 meters on the women's side we had two more qualifiers tokyo qualifiers and the women's side you have to be under 31 25 there's no other way to make the olympic team um so edna kurgat and sarah hall made it and sarah hall i mean this is crazy She's now, just double-checking my math here, she turned 38 last month, April 15th, old tax day, and she runs 31.21 here. Her previous PB was 32.35. I mean, this is crazy. I didn't think she would could run this fast. That was pretty good. And I think, oh, man, there's a couple performances in and out. Makina Morley, she missed it by 0.19. Amy Louise Markov missed it by 0.91. Jessica Judd missed it by 0.98. I mean, they all missed by less than one second. And a big performance note in eighth place, Sally Kipiego, former, what, silver medalist at 10K? That's crazy at the Olympics. She ran 31.30. 
So she missed it. Do you guys think there's a chance she goes for the 10K at the trials and does a marathon in the fall and makes more money that way? And that would open up a spot for friend of the podcast, Des Linden, in Tokyo. Do you guys think there's any chance Kipie go? I mean, I guess she'd have to get the standard and get the top. uh, It's probably asking too much, right? But I think there's a chance the women's race at the trials is under 3125. I think the men's race going under 2728 is a bigger ask. I don't think she'd make the team. And I know she said she wanted to run the 10K because she'd like to try. I think she'd like to try to make the world championship team next year. But I don't think, I think the Olympic trials, by that point, she's going to be training for the marathon in Sapporo. So I don't think we're going to see her at the trials this year. That was an interesting thought, Walden, but no, she's not going to be doing that. She wants to medal in the Olympics, and I was actually really interested in seeing what she did here. I think something thirty-one thirty is kind of at the back end of what I think is what she, I mean, she wants to be in sub-220 shape in, what, three months? So two and a half months? I mean, I would like to see a little bit faster, but I think she's, I, again, I think she's America's best hope for a medal on the women's side in the marathon, our only hope. And, and then, did we mention Sarah Hole getting the standard in the 10K? Yeah, just mentioned the Johnny Zona now here. Is I just wanted vaccine? to double check. I, I, you listed a bunch of names there. It's kind of my short-term memory, I guess. I didn't Ooh. remember. Is it brain fog? A, uh, it's either a COVID symptom or a vaccine symptom. You okay, John? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And there's one performance to note on the men's side of people who missed the standard. Sam Chalinga. He wrote a book. We'll put a link to his book in the show notes. I need to read the book. He said he sent me a copy, but I forgot to get my address. Sam, sorry about that. He's not even in WCAP anymore. He's now 7th Special Forces Group in the Army. He wins 27-42. Now, this guy is a you know, former superstar. But earlier, he was pretty much retired, right, John? I mean, he was running. He ran 28-57 on February 27th. That was in the heat in Texas. He ran 13-36 two weeks ago. And now he runs 27-42. This is a guy who... I think by the trials, he'll be in 27-28 shape, but he won't have the standard. So I think he'd be one to watch by the trials. So what if you're him, what do you do? Maybe there's a Harry Jerome or some other meet you can go try to hit the standard before the trials? Well, I don't think he's going to be... I, look, I still wouldn't pick him to make the team. I don't think so, but I just think it's a cool story that he got back to this level of... I, I'm, I was like shocked when I saw that result. I was like, Sam Schlang is breaking 28 minutes again? Like, what year is it? I, th- I was really impressed by that, but the U.S. has a bunch of good guys in the 10K who I think are better than him or better than he's going to be in a couple months. Like, Grant Fisher and Woody Kincaid, granted they were wearing the super shoes, but they only ran a few seconds off of what Sam Chalanga ran at his peak in 2010. He ran 27.08, and Woody Kincaid and Grant Fisher have run 27.12 and 27.11. Chalinko, like, he's not never made the Olympics, right? So could he not? He wanted his U.S. citizenship in 2012. He wasn't ready, and he because it's not like he competed in the Kenyan trials either. He didn't become a U.S. citizen until 2015. So in 2012, why didn't he go for the Kenyan team? Would that have like messed up his citizenship? It wouldn't have. Do we know that he didn't? I'm not totally sure. Yeah, I'm looking at results. I mean, there's no Kenyan trials on there. So, 
Are you guys trying to annoy all the podcast listeners? Nobody cares. An old guy ran kind of fast. He's not making the Olympic team. Let's get to the big action. There's going to be a goddamn world record attempt in the 3,000 meters tomorrow. This is like, for some reason, this is kind of the most legendary distance record. Daniel Coleman. It's kind of because people who don't, you know, it was set in 1996, September 1st, 1996. So it's almost 25 years old. And youngsters, anyone under the age of probably 30, doesn't really understand what it was like before the internet. You couldn't watch races live. You kind of would hear about things. And Coleman was a guy that didn't even make the 96 Olympic team. He kind of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden was just running these magical times in the summer and just running through, like, talk about pre. This guy would just go for broke every race, race after race after race. And, like, I think it was, like, three days before this 3,000 world record. He'd gone for the 5,000 world record, was on pace, and then blew up over the last, like, 1,000. and runs, like, 13 minutes. So they thought he was tired. And then to I was listening to the tape last night. Tim Hutchings, I think, was doing it with Steve Cram. And, like, when he goes out, they're just, like, blown away. Like, he's going out and, like, 225 for the first 1,000, I think. Something crazy. And, you know, I mean, the world record is 58.75 per lap for seven and a half damn laps. And they're just, like, blown away by what happens. And then you get to the end. And this happens. Speed is running out. Losing Mortley is going to lose the world record here, barring disaster in the last 100 meters. And still he looks on trouble. Into the home straight, Daniel Komen of Kenya, 20 years old. He hasn't got a world record at an Olympic distance yet. He hasn't got one at an IAAF distance. But now he has. Look at the figure. 720.67. 59 seconds for that last circuit. And the world record has been broken by four and a half seconds. So amazing. Talk about a guy that burned it hot for like a couple years. But John, what do we think is going to happen tomorrow? I mean, you talked to Chapter Guy's agent. John, did, by the way, can I give you a call? Did you break this story? Like we heard rumors that there was going to be the world record attempt, but you were the first journalist to confirm that this was a world record attempt. If so, well done. I think so. I mean, I read in the World Athletics preview by – Carl Dennehy that seemed like they might be targeting the world record. It wasn't totally certain. So I basically was like, Hey, I texted agent Yuri Vanderbilt. I'm like, am I going to miss something here? Like, do I need to be paying attention? He's like, well, we have, we have some dreams. So essentially, you know, he's got, they're going in, they're going to try to break the record. Uh, weather permitting, I think it's supposed to be low fifties, maybe a little rain um, in Ostrava. If it's rainy, I think there's no chance they get it. I mean, rain and 50 degrees, that's out the window. But they've got Stuart McSwain. They're flying him in, the terrific Australian runner who's run 728. He's going to pace this. And they've got the pacing lights. So guy's going to go for it. And Yuri told me they feel with the training he's done that it's possible, but they know it's going to be tougher than either the 5K or the 10K were. Uh, just because I, I think he didn't say exactly why, but I think a, it's just a really freaking hard record and B he's more of a 5k, 10k guy, you know, but before he broke that 10, 5k world record that's last summer, remember we thought of him as a 10k guy. We thought the 5k might be a bit too short for him because he's run so well at 15k on the roads. So now dropping down to 3k, you really got to get moving. I mean, 
Chip the guy's PR is for fifteen hundred is three thirty seven. Now grind he barely races. This is a minor altitude, but you have to run three forty back to back to break this record. So you really need some wheels. And I think that's probably the biggest limiting factor. But we've seen a lot of guys in recent years run in the seven twenties. I mean, freaking Getnet Wale ran seven twenty four indoors earlier this year, and I think Chip the guy's a better runner than Getnet Wale. So could he do it? Maybe the the idea of someone running seven nineteen for three k is sort of just would totally blow my mind, but it's going to be really tough. John seven nineteen for three k is crazy, but somebody ran seven twenty twenty five effing years ago. This is so effing unbelievable. And then I'm also looking at this. Guys were running twelve forty five and twelve forty five twenty five years ago. I'm just kind of like. These were non-super shoes, right? You know, it just makes people sort of kind of wonder, but Tom Ratcliffe worked with Coleman, right? I swear Ratcliffe swears Coleman was clean. He's like, this guy, he came from the middle of nowhere in Kenya. But it's just, I mean, like, these guys didn't have the technology. I want the record to stand. I mean, I, I like what Chepka guy's doing, but Chepka guy's not even the second best guy. He's the second best guy in Uganda now, man. We got Kip Limo. He might even be the second best 3K runner, right? Kipuimo beat... Why isn't Kipuimo running this race? He's in the 10K in this meet, right? He is. It would be great, actually, to see the, the two guys run because Kipuimo ran 7.26 last year. So, uh, I don't know. I like seeing records. I think the lights make it a little bit easier with the pacing. But just that Komen thing, thinking back. I mean, Hutchings... What, what do you say the final lap was? 59-something. Right, he slowed down. That means he slowed down the final lap to break the world record. You have to average fifty-eight seventy-five. The Coleman story I've always heard was, you know, so Tom Ratcliffe, the U.S. agent now, and um, Ricky Sims, who's the British agent, they both worked for Kim McDonald. I don't know which one of them told me the story. I think it was Ricky, but it may have been Tom. But when they went to sign, they heard they heard this rumor about this guy Daniel Coleman. I think it was Ricky. And they're like, okay, we got to go meet him. And someone was taking him out, and they just were driving, and they went off the road, and they're, you know, this four wheeler, and they went so far out into the bush that Ricky got nervous, and he thought that he was being going to be robbed, and someone was going to take all his possessions because it's like there's no way somebody lives in here. It's like basically the jungle, and then like it just it was a really primitive existence. And I know Tom has told me he's like, yeah, Daniel didn't really even understand times, like. He just would like even the concept of a race, like he would just, you would say faster and he would just run faster. Like when he was racing, he didn't like here 58, he would, they would just yell faster and he would go faster or slower or whatever. So, I mean, it's just like unbelievable. And then I'm like, whatever. And, and yeah, Tom swears to me that he was clean because there was a lot of EPO going on at the time. I said, well, come on. He was like a flash in the pan. His career didn't last very long, but he's like, yeah, but he, He's like, you don't understand. This guy came from no money. He made like a million dollars really quickly. And like, there was no incentive to like keep going. Like it was just, he burned it really hard and really hot. You know, what's that, what's that great thing where you get close to the sun and then you, your, your wings burn off. Icarus, the parable. Yeah. This is like, this is like the Bo Jackson of, of distance running. I want, I need a 30 for 30. I need a book on this guy. It's an insane story. I mean, I, I never got to watch him race. I was, he was, before my time, but I've seen the videos and I've heard the legends and it's crazy. Okay. This is how I think legends are born because I'm pretty sure Robert is now confusing two stories. 
The faster, faster guy didn't understand the concept of racing. I'm pretty sure that was Joseph Abuya, the former world cross country champion. But the Komen story, I think, yeah, it's, it was very similar. He was just from like, like, and, and these agents who go to Kenya and stuff are used to going to very rural parts of Kenya, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, Komen and Abuya. It was like a whole nother level. So if you know the true story, email us. But guys, we can talk about some of these other races at this meet quickly, but let's get it out there. Does he get the record? Yes or no? I'm going to no. No. I want to say yes, just to be proven right. But because then I could play. Oh, Robert was a genius. I, I think he's going to come up just short, like 721. But I do got to disagree. I'm the weather expert. And I had to change John's preview. John keeps talking about the goddamn weather and how the rain's going to kill it. I think the weather looks quite good. It's going to be fifty low 50s. And, yes, there is a chance of rain. The last time I saw it, it says light rain and dark sky. It says like 39% chance at 8 p.m. The race is at 745, 20% chance at 6 p.m. But John doesn't understand this. Actually, like a, hundred, like a mist would be ideal. As John Kellogg has told me, John, and I've repeated this before. Water vapor is actually less dense than air. So if the air is saturated with moisture and the temperature is below 60, that's ideal because it's like, particularly for cyclists, like there's less wind resistance. Mm. I just, sometimes when you do these weather predictions, Robert, I do wonder if like you've ever run races because some of these guys, like especially if you're coming from East Africa where it's warm all the time, if it's like chilly and fifties and kind of rainy, that's just not fun to run in that kind of weather. And I know like, Oh, like, look, you can tell me all the science or whatever, but there's a mental aspect to it too. I just don't always think it's necessarily the best weather. Like how many times we've we been to it. Have we watched a diamond league meet in like Stockholm or something? It's like the weather was fifties and rainy and they ran terrible because they ran really slow. Cause it seems like a lot. Well, I agree. Rain is different than mist. Like Eugene cloud mist, that would be ideal. Rain, okay. It's a little bit cold, but... All right, other events in Ostrava worth watching. There are a bunch of them. I mean, Kiplimo's in the 10K. I'm kind of curious. Like, could he go for the world record there? I don't even know what his goal is, but if there's some guy who's capable of it other than Chet the guy, I think it might be him. So it'd be interesting to see what he does there. We got 100... Gatlin versus DeGrasse versus Fred Curley in the men's 100. Shikari Richardson stepping up to the 200 to race two-time world champion Daphne Skippers. I think that'll be good. And then in the 800, Robert's guy, Patrick Dobek, is taking on world championship silver medalist Amel Tuka and Jake Whiteman. So that'll be fun to watch as well. So, I mean, this meet's stacked. It's Diamond League quality, at least with the star power in Ostrava on Wednesday. And speaking of 800... A thing Mo at the SEC Championships ran a 49, like five uh, set. 49.84. The number, it's a US, it's a, I think a world under 20 record. US under 20. I don't 20 think record. so. I think it's just US and North American. Okay. But, I mean, we haven't even mentioned it. It's crazy. And she said, look, I'm running the 800 at the trials. She may not make the U.S. team at the 800, but she could easily be the gold medalist. There's no way she's the gold medalist at 400 by the end of the year, I don't think. So I applaud her decision to go for the 8. She's on the 4x4 team for the U.S. 
she's got to be on one of the relays, right? I think she's cemented that status. So I think she'll be an Olympian regardless. Do you guys think that's going to be the case? Well, yeah, but they're not going to put her on the 4x4 if she doesn't make the 800 team. You don't think so? That's not what they do. They pick pick the finishes based on the 400, and then if you make the team in another event, they can pull you onto the relay team. But they're not going to say... Oh, sixth place in the 800. Yeah, we want you on the relay. That's not how relay picks work. They pull the sixth place from the 400 sometimes. Right, because it's the 4 by 4 relay. But she's got a faster time. They should pick the fastest 400-meter people in America. That's how it goes. That's not their qualifying procedure. They need to change it. If she does make the 800 team, I assume they'll put her on one of the 4 by 4s because we got the mixed gender, and then we got the regular one, and you got the heats and everything. So she probably – well, actually, it depends on the schedule. She might not want to run the mixed 4x4 if it's before the 800. I wouldn't. So is that it for this week, guys, or anything else before we go? Well, I want to say something about Ate Mo. Like, she said she's doing the 800. I think the 400 runners in the U.S. ought to be helpful, be happy about that, because she almost certainly would make the 400 team. And I just looked up the schedule. Like, the 400 is over before the 800 starts. So I think if it was reversed, she would do both. Like, why not? But she may not want to run the 400. I mean, it's like days one and three or something, but the 800 doesn't start till like day seven. So um, it's just kind of interesting there. Be baller. As, how old is she? She did the double at the trials. <laughs> yeah, that would be insane. But I, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be learned from – you know, remember Clayton Murphy in 2017, he was, what, 22, and he tried the 815 double. And that was over a shorter time period. And I thought it was – I still have a ton of respect for Clayton Murphy trying that. I thought it was awesome. But it also didn't work out because he didn't make either team and he got injured. So I think when you're that young, I can understand just wanting to focus on one event. I mean, she could be a huge breakout star in Tokyo, right? Let's say she makes the 100 team, does some damage. Sorry, Ajay Wilson. Then does the 4x4. Four four. I mean, she's very personable. She's got a really cool story. I mean, great personality. She's fun. Like, when she broke the 600 record, I was like, wow, this, she was a kid, but she was just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think people really know a thing Mo the person, and I've only seen just a couple of glimpses of it, but she's a very good interview. Well, it should be exciting. I can't wait for tomorrow. And the Diamond League opener this weekend is insane, too. We'll preview that on Friday's podcast. So until then, signing off. Don't forget, try the Airway Performance Mouthpiece. 16 years of research into this thing. Check it out, airwave.com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. Link in the show notes.